to more than a game. My name's Tommy C. Obviously, I'm joined with Jesse. Jesse, how are you doing today, mate? Mate, I'm good. I'm good. It's great. It's good to be back. Uh, it's been a while. Had a bit of a sabbatical, um, bit of a break, um, but it's good to be back. It's great to have you. Great to have you on the pod again. Uh, today with you, I'm only going to be talking A League. Uh, we caught up yesterday with with George. Uh, correction, just just Andy yesterday to to talk Premier League. So, uh, for those of us that are those of you that are only on the uh, podcast version, uh, we'll be uploading that as one mega mega podcast for you all to listen to in the next 24 hours or so. Um, but uh, look, plenty of A League to to talk about this week. Jesse, shall we? Um, before we do that, though, we'll we'll cover a moment of the week. Uh, what's what stood out to you so far? Well, it's going to be directly related to the to the A League. It's the uh, the assist of the assist, um, the through ball uh, from Kolakowski. Well, actually, no, it wasn't from Kolakowski. It was to Kolakowski, but you get my drift. Um, like a knife through butter. Um, I was lucky enough to be watching that one live, and I as as I commented in the group chat straight away, I was just like, oh, what a ball. That's where you need the uh, the Randy Marsh gif, um, it, just to really do justice. It, it, I was thinking uh, less Randy Marsh and more Del Bosque, um, the big oof uh, gif. That that was yeah. me. I was like, oh, geez. And I've got to say, like, we, we get sport a little bit like watching the Premier League, Serie A, Bundesliga and stuff like that for um, you, you see those sorts of passes, but it's not often you see something like that in the A-League, though. Oh, it's just, it, it, it was actually like scary, like look, watching it because I mean, I don't think there's ever been a time I've really watched Melbourne City and thought, um, apart from the colours, of course, that they were really a city team. Um, mm. But the way they were playing football last night, um, well, the night before, um, yeah, like that was a lot of really, really tidy stuff across the across the ground. So yeah, I couldn't have um, that not in my moment of the week basket, really. It was a fantastic goal. Fair enough, mate. That's a, that's a good pick. I like I, I, I rate that pick. Um, for my moment of the week, uh, sorry, not A-League related, but um, it was just as good, if not better, than uh, than Luna's pass for Kolakowski and, and J-Mac. Uh, mine is uh, Antonio's return and goal celebration. Um, I'll talk about this in a little bit more detail already in the, in the Premier League segment, but um, for those that didn't catch it, it was basically uh, Antonio tapped the ball in, scored a goal, Run off to the corner post, uh, corner post, and and then just uh, basically did a whole bunch of backstroke in the uh, in the corner, which was fantastic on the ground. You do get um, you do get a bit worried though with uh, with with Antonio that even just doing a bit of backstroke on the ground could have pulled a muscle. So I was I was just hoping he'd sort of get through the celebration and then we could sort of relax. Mate, the the man's a glass cannon. Like he he'll go and <laughs> score, and and then you're right, he'll just do a hammy, like getting up up from the ground or something like that. After that, um, I did see so, so subsequent to um to talking about this yesterday on the pod with um with Andy, I did see um there there was a, a clip 
um, on Twitter that I saw, which was basically these two blokes just like pretending to swim, but it was literally like a one-inch deep puddle, and they were just absolutely throwing themselves into it. And oh man, I'll see if we can't share it on the the M tag page. But geez, it made me laugh. And Fantastic. saying uh, that the subtweet was that it was. Um, uh, Decky Rice and, and Carl Antonio practicing for uh, for Saturday's game. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. All right, mate. Uh, what didn't you like this week, though? Uh, I have to say, um, I mean, you only have to open up the uh, the Herald Sun um, or whatever newspaper you choose to open. I, I don't actually have a preference here. I just open up Google. Um, is, but... is that your own goal, just opening up the Herald Sun? Yeah, the Herald Sun is the own goal. So that's as soon as I said that, I thought, "Geez, don't don't tell listeners that I read the Herald Sun." Um, but the um, the line uh, this pretty much sums it up: Melbourne City's remarkable W League turnaround against Melbourne victory has been overshadowed by a group of victory fans hurling bottles and abuse at City and Matilda's goalkeeper Tegan Micah. So this is um, obviously in the W League for for those that uh, are following, and um, it's it's. You know, obviously, we're trying to keep track of the A League and the W League and what's going on in both, um, and it's both equally exciting at the moment, especially this game. But a real shame um, that some of the supporters that were there, and, and it's it's what makes it even more of a shame is that the the first impression I had at the start of the game when you're watching the mini match and things is just how great the support was because there were so many people there behind the goal, and you thought that's fantastic. I mean, that's great for for football in general, let alone women's football. Um, but then just the way it sort of just it just got out of hand and then they started throwing things. It's just like it's not acceptable in any arena. Um, and it just put a really – unfortunately, that no one's really talking about how much of a great game it was. They're all talking about the uh, the glass bottles being thrown at the keeper. Yeah. In fact, mate, that was actually my own goal as well um, about uh, the, the, the objects being thrown onto the field at, at that game because um, from what I can tell, it was actually a pretty good game as well. I mean – um, I guess it wasn't a particularly great week for um, for the W League and, and attendances. I know there were lots of people that went to the the Sydney Derby um, and hoped that lots of people would hang around for the for the W League equivalent uh, straight after the men's, but it didn't really eventuate. And um, and then to have this happen sort of the following day uh, as well in Melbourne it was sort of like oh, great. Like mm. still still um, whilst the women's game has obviously made huge huge step forwards in the last few years there's there's still some aspects that obviously still um there's still room for growth in i guess um so yeah i I agree mate it was um it was pretty unfortunate and ultimately uh the the most uh, annoying thing is is that um no one was talking about the game or, or anything like that, and and there's no way that the Herald Sun probably would have run a story about the W League other than, than the fact that there were fans behaving, uh, not behaving themselves at, at the game. So again, just Herald Sun doing Herald Sun things. When I first read it, I sort of thought, you know, it was it a bit of a because I hadn't seen it, the footage, mm-hmm. and I thought, is it a storm in a teacup situation where someone's thrown a plastic cup or a plastic bottle or something just completely, you know? Glass bottles. I mean, you know, you don't have to be at a football game for that to be inappropriate. It's just ridiculous. So, um, yeah, I, I hope those those supporters don't get a chance to go back and watch football for a while, and that, that hopefully will teach them a lesson. I think the only time where I've seen it be appropriate to to throw stuff at a football game was uh, not not throw ins. That's that's obviously a stupid part of the game that Arsene Wenger thinks that they should get rid of. Um, but uh, at the Melbourne Derby a few years ago in in the men's um, 
there was, uh, I think it was the northern end of the, the Victory supporters all had those yellow seat covers and they were tossing those in the air in, in unison. And, and that's probably one of the funniest things I've seen at an A-League game. I thought that was, um, I remember that <laughs> was well. pretty funny. It was hypnotic. You just couldn't look away. Um, but uh, yeah, throwing stuff on the pitch, I think that's a that's a bit of a different story. So, um, and I think we're we're both in unison about um, that being a, a real shame about um, that that had happened. Mm. Um, but all right, mate. Look onto some onto some football matters though. Uh, first up, we had the uh, the Sydney Derby in a bit of a weekend of derbies. Um, Sydney Derby, Sydney versus Western Sydney. Um, Twenty thousand made it to this one, um, which would have to be the the biggest A League crowd, or probably one of the biggest sporting crowds in Australia, um, maybe outside of the AFL Grand Final um, that we've seen uh, in the last twelve months, which is which is pretty incredible. Um, the game was at Stadium Australia, so whilst there were still 20,000 people there, you put 20,000 people in, a, I think it's a 60 or 70,000 seater stadium now, it's still a bit of a battle to generate an atmosphere and, and I think singing was also banned. So, again, a lot of people there but didn't necessarily translate um, into an atmosphere and I think it was in the last five to ten minutes that I think some of the Wanderers fans were, were singing though. Did you catch that? Yeah, I thought I caught moments where they were singing. Um, I didn't realise that that rule was in place. It is the one sort of part where you, you worry about people at the football. Just um, but with that, I know I know a lot of places across the world use the masks as a way of fixing that. But you know, it's hard enough. It gets hard enough to get to people. People uh, hard enough to get people to wear masks in normal situations, let alone um, at a football ground. Oh, I'm going to sing. I'm going to put on a mask. It just doesn't work, unfortunately. Exactly, yeah, and they tried sort of the same thing in England as well where they had very small crowds where they said, all right, no no hugging, no high fives, no uh, no singing or chanting and, yeah, it's kind of like what's the point? Mm, exactly. <laughs> Might as well just buy, pay behind, uh, play behind closed doors, I think, but, yeah. Mm. I guess for, for 20,000, though, that still meant that a lot of people could go and watch that. Um, this, um, mate, just, on, just, on, just on the crowds, mate. though, mate, um, I noticed that the kit man, um, I, I think you follow him on Twitter. I was, I, I, he's somehow, uh, I, I follow him on Twitter. I'm not sure how that happened, but uh, he um, loves all things kits. And uh, he obviously, I think he's got a pretty decent following. I mean, I, I assume it to he. I don't even know. But um, basically, they were commenting on the kits in the A-League and just frothing the um, the Wanderers and the um, the Woo kit. And. There's, a, there's not many bad kits this year, is there? Like sometimes no, like we sort of roll our eyes a little bit and we're a pretty, pretty hard-to-please bunch, I guess, um, generally speaking, A-League fans, but try to make you go. like the Adelaide one as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, but the one thing that he was commenting on is like, and look, there are crowds. And it just kind of was one of those moments where I was like, I mean, obviously we're more than aware with what's going on around the world, um, but it's just so easy to slip into complacency. I mean, we've only been out of restrictions for the last month or so couple months and we already sort of are semi taken for granted that there's at least a crowd at the games so um yeah yeah it did sort of like uh you know I, I watched that game and then i watched the premier league last night and it just reminds you that there that having crowds is, is, a, is a real novelty it's it's funny you mentioned that like every every so often on social media i see someone who lives abroad um who isn't necessarily an australian and they catch sort of a glimpse of what life is like in australia and sort of some of the um some of the restrictions that have been imposed in australia and they go yeah like that's that's shitty but 
it's still pretty amazing that like we have a lot of freedoms and um, and we've had generally speaking a pretty positive um, uh, outcome when it comes to uh, how the virus has been managed in Australia. But anyway, sorry, this is not turning into a COVID nineteen podcast, <laughs> <laughs> mate. Uh, what are uh, there, there was only two goals in this game, and I've got to say it, it wasn't the highest of quality uh, matches. Unfortunately, um, a goal for Barbarousas uh, from the spot, and also a James Troisi goal just five minutes later, both uh, in the in the sixty um, the sixtieth minute thereabouts. Um, but outside of those two uh, chances, uh, there wasn't really that many chances generally in the game, was there? This was the uh, the snake derby, mate. The Sydney FC versus Western Sydney Wanderers. Um, you had <laughs> Troy FC, you had uh, Barbarousas. I mean, one snake gives a pen away, one snake buries the pen. Um, I mean, only in Australia can a snake uh, take a penalty and, and, and win it. So um, it just goes to show that everything's pretty unique on the side of the world. But uh, uh, when Troisi gave away the penalty, I thought it couldn't happen to a better bloke. Um, <laughs> but um, obviously, to his credit, later on, he um, redeemed himself and scored the tap. And Redmayne having an absolute meltdown there. Um, I'm not sure what he was trying to do, um, but it was a shocker. And he did the classic thing where the goalkeeper complains to the uh, to the ref. And the linesman just 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 yells obscenities and waves his arm in the air to try and get some kind of foul. I'm like, you've dropped the ball clean and someone's tapped it in. Like, what are you expecting? Like, it's like players are just coached into sort of complaining for the sake of complaining. It was a weird one. Like from from memory, it was I think, um, and and there was a, a little bit of a similar goal that happened in the the um, the Macarthur game. I was going to call Macquarie, fucking hell. Um, but it was a, a bit of a, a similar goal where uh, like there was a goalkeeping error that led to the goal. And I, I remember in both instances, um, like people have said, oh yeah, like the the goalkeeper like was played on because it was a save made, and just blew my mind. But you're right. Um, an error, an uncharacteristic error, I guess, in in more recent years from from Redmayne, but um, it was a mistake that um, City or Heart fans or Western Sydney fans have definitely seen a lot of over the last couple of years. Um, it still blows my mind that some people consider Redmayne to be one of the best goalkeepers in the league because, I mean, I watched him for two years and he was shit. He was so bad. Um, so the fact that he's now apparently a good goalkeeper just blows my mind. Yeah, well, it's the old um, put the best driver in the best F1 car um, kind of thing, isn't it? You know, he's not exactly in a team that's going to uh, concede a lot of goals. Um, this is true. I was enjoying Sal's comment there. Sal's comment there about um, did I say Western Sydney otters? Um, <laughs> I didn't say Western Sydney otters, but my word, I mean, have the Wanderers missed a, a chance here? Um, I mean, Western Sydney, Western uh, Sydney Wanderers. We've seen Wanderers across the world, Bolton Wanderers. Um, why not the Western Sydney Otters? I mean, that's my real takeaway so far on this podcast. Opportunity missed. Is is there like a team anywhere in the world called the Otters? There would have to be like a baseball team in the US, like a minor league baseball team or something called the Otters. Or like, I feel like in, in the US, there has to be like a college team or something like yep. that that's called the this, Otters. This like, week on college football, it's Gators <laughs> versus Otters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Um Mate, you on the on the subject of uh, of animals, uh, you already mentioned about snakes in this derby um, already, and I just want to throw out a stat at this point um, before we maybe move on. Um, 
Bam Johan, he's played eight derbies for, for Sydney and Western Sydney, and he hasn't won any of them somehow. That that's that is a pretty mind blowing stat, and I can't think of a worse record uh, for a player in any league for for derbies. Um, so the man- manager just taps you on the shoulder next time and just says, "You want to set this one out, mate?" <laughs> well, I think I'm pretty sure he started on the bench for this one as it was. So I don't know. I don't really know where he can go from here. Maybe just he uh, go to the stands. He won't even be on the bench <laughs> next time. <laughs> Well, there we go. Uh, look, uh, Sal in the comments, uh, God bless you, Sal, um, has thrown out the Evansville uh, Otters from Indiana. So um, maybe the future sister club for, for Western Sydney. That's right. <laughs> but if I do want to have one final shout-out from the Sydney Derby, and that was the, the Western Sydney fullbacks. I thought Tate Russell, again, had another really good game, and... Um, Aqua Aquilina, I think it is, um, who was on the other side. I thought he had a really good game as well. Still missing a little bit of end product, but um, he's. I'm pretty sure this is still only his first year in the in the A League, and so he, he's obviously he, he's doing good things at the moment. Still some room for improvement, but I think he could um, he could really be a, a strong player, I guess, on the opposite side to Tate Russell, which um, it can only mean good things, I guess, for the Wanderers moving forward. He looks good. He looks good. Like I was looking through, um, uh, also back through some of the highlights of the previous games, and just and just refreshing on what what's what we've already seen so far. Um, and mm. Tate Russell obviously got a belter the other week as well. So um, yeah, he looks sharp. Yeah, from memory, I think he provided the assist for this one too for um, for Troisi too. So um, yeah, great great things for for Tate Russell, and I know he's one of Damo's favourites. So um, yeah, good signs for the Wanderers and for for Russell as well. Uh, anything else from the derby, mate, or should we move on to the other derby? Not so much. Not so much. I mean, I think uh, I think Sydney. I mean, Bahagia was was uh, prominent, but he obviously didn't. Uh, I think he was more prominent in the first half, and he sort of faded away a little bit. But um, yeah, I just, Thanks. I just, I would love to see just Sydney get a bit of a handbrake uh, at the start of this um, season because they ran away pretty quickly last year, and I just. If Wanderers can draw against them, it sort of gives me hope. You know, I well, think that we can take them back. Mate, thank you for bringing up Buhaj actually, because um, I've actually missed something from the notes, and it was <laughs> that uh, about Buhaj. I mean, some people continue to refer to Buhaj as pretty much sort of the second coming of Ronaldo, which I mean, yeah, he's quick, um, but for me, he's more like the second coming of Mitch Austin. He. Um, He's quick, but I, to be honest, I, I don't see much more from him other than just a quick player. I think it was in the um, the Wellington game where he just sort of he was he collected the ball just um, just short of halfway and pretty much kicked the ball twenty meters ahead of him and then just chased it down and and Speedy, of course, was just blowing up saying it was a, a piece of incredible skill. Yet it was it was real junior football type stuff where. Of, of course, he's fast. Yeah, if he just kicks the ball twenty meters and chases it down, yeah, he's going to get it back. But um, of course, he didn't score um, from the resulting um, play. But I thought it was another game where, yeah, look, Hudge is going to get into some good positions uh, purely through his pace. But uh, unless he's converting some of those positions, ultimately, it means nothing. Um, and Matt, this is leading to a question. It's not just a monologue from me. Um, oh. Good shout from Sal in the in the comments saying that um, he's the second coming of Theo Walcott. That's that's another good shout, I think. Um, but 
so Bobo, he was in the stands for this one. He's obviously out of quarantine, still got a little bit of um, uh, training time, I think, to, before he comes up to match fitness. But uh, look, who are Sydney going to drop out of uh, Barbarossa's and Bahadja, um for Bobo? Well, can they even play a, a front three? Um, because I, I, I'm sort of struggling to think. I mean, last season it seemed like there was always two up front. Um, so, I mean, unless they change their shape, um, it would be a bit of a blow to um, Bahagia. I'm just trying to think about how <laughs> Speedy pronounces him. Um, Speedy just uh, – I can just imagine Speedy walking around his house. I mean, that's scary enough uh, in itself, but um, just walking around his house and every time he sort of turns a corner, like, Bahagia. You know, like he just loses it every time he touches the ball. Um, like he's shocked that he that he's collected the ball. Yeah, no. He, every time Speedy says Bahagia, it sounds like he's been tasered. Um, and I think you, you just sort of t- you just hit the nail on the head right there, and he sounds shocked, literally. Um, so yeah, but um, very entertaining. Um, but yeah, I think um, he would probably have to go back to the bench if they want to prioritize just two up front, which would be a bit of a blow for him when we all expected big things from him this season. So I suspect they'll try and make room. For three of them. Interesting. All right, mate. Um, I think that pretty much wraps up uh, this one, though. Um, we'll move on to the other derby, which arguably was far more entertaining and, and far, far higher quality, which was the, the the Melbourne derby, which no one wants to admit as a derby. Um, meant, uh, Melbourne City versus Western, uh, Western United. A little bit of a Freudian slip there, almost calling them Manchester United. Um this one was at Amy Park. Um, I believe there was a crowd there, but again, um, I think they got about 8,000 to this, which is actually pretty decent even for a Melbourne City game at the best of times. A um, couple of goals uh, in the first half. Uh, Western United opened the scoring with Ivan Vujica uh, opening the scoring, and uh, he was pretty damn happy with, with his goal, ran up to, to Rudin and halfway and gave him a big hug. Uh, which obviously wasn't uh, COVID safe, but uh, still you love to see it. Um, not long after that, about 10 minutes later, Noon equalised with an absolute belter of a goal, um, which was funny because it was only a few minutes prior to that that I was saying to the the person next to me how Noon just hasn't shown enough quality while he's, while he's been in the league. And, well, then, yeah, he just goes and does that. So said he's blown Noon. <laughs> Um, but yeah, mate, and, and it looks sort of like the game was sort of um, it was sort of seesawing a little bit, and uh, and late in the first half, early in the second half. But the the game was really turned by um, by a couple of substitutes early on in the in the second half, where uh, Marco Tilio and uh, Stefan Kolakowski, who I have a feeling Kolakowski actually follows us on either Facebook or Twitter. Uh, we'd have to would confirm that. Would not surprise that, but, me. Would not uh, surprise I mean, me. Look, I just want to go on record and say that Kolakowski is uh, my favourite all-time player and that, uh, look, Steph, we would love to have you on the pod at some point. Um, it would be our honour to, to have you on the pod, uh, just a supremely gifted athlete such as yourself. So um, looking forward to that. Just let us know who your agent is and we'll, and we'll tee something up. Um, <laughs> just bring Jay Matt with you. Um, <laughs> Well, um, but mate, I've got to say though, um, in all seriousness, uh, Tilio and Kolakowski—they really changed the game in City's favour in that uh, midway through that second half. I, so I can't think. Of... So I've got a question yeah. for you, which, which I think is directly relevant to what you're about to say. Um, mm-hmm. And I was talking about the, the, the t- how tidy the, the football was in that second half. There was this move uh, before they scored that um, that cracking uh, from that cracking through ball. 
mm-hmm. where and this is what I watched the replay over and over again to try and figure out if it was actually Tilio that originated the the um the uh, the cross field diagonal to noon. Then Noon sort of like um, sort of floats inside and does a, a reverse ball, and then Tilio has a chance to um, to to shoot, and actually just it gets it just goes straight off the keeper, parried off the keeper. But it was that really amazing almost goal. Um, it was a really big chance. But if you watch the replay, uh, I think he actually sliced it on the outside of his foot to Noon, and then he makes the run into the box. So it would have been a, a one-two technically, um, but it was just fantastic because he, there's something about somebody who fires a diagonal and then has the the desire to get to the not only to the byline but to enter the box and to get in front of the goalkeeper it was just brilliant movement and it completely fooled the woo defenders they didn't track him there there was mate and, and you mentioned that desire and, and energy i guess was the other the other word that came to mind for me that that summed up uh kolakowski and uh Tilio once they came on in the second half because th- things were starting to get a little bit um static a little bit stale for city but but then when those two players came on um it, they really just blew blew them apart uh, blew west united apart with their their movement and i guess directness and, and energy and like you say the ability for someone to send across like the technical ability for someone to to put on a crossfield ball and then show the desire to run 30 meters onto onto a cross or something like that like that that can change games and we saw that here which um obviously city would be very happy with the result Noon um, did the um the mass the, the marcelo um uh, trap when the ball came to him, he just stopped it on a on a dime and then uh, and then went Ooh. to run with it, which is it just it just made the whole move that little bit sexier. Sends shivers up your spine, doesn't it? it does. Mate, uh, on the topic of of young players, uh, so Ross and Griffiths, uh, he started as the as centre back for City in this one, uh, being I think he's the only he, he's the second centre back for City um, uh, on Saturday. Uh, he went off at halftime with a quad injury, and they only had Karen Stokes uh, on the bench, a young player to, to call upon to replace him. And I thought it was a little bit strange because um, Norbo's response to to the question of like what what is he expecting from Stokes, he he basically said that he's got a whole bunch of enthusiasm and and didn't really elaborate much more upon that. And I thought to myself, like if if you're the manager there in that position, you, you've got to say that look, he he's a he's a fantastic technical young player, and um, he's uh, he's excited to get on uh, the pitch, and he's been knocking on the door for a first team place. Don't just say he's enthusiastic. I mean, I'm enthusiastic about making my A League debut at one point, but I know it's not going to happen. And by the same token, um, I would hope that someone who's on the bench for Melbourne City brings more to the more to the game than just um, enthusiasm. So. Um, yeah, look, that was a little bit disappointing. But look, I thought Karen mm. Stokes did really well um, and didn't look out of place uh, in, in the end. But no, we're just on the topic question. of. Um, just got a question, though. Got a question for you, though, uh, Tommy. The crowd members, uh, it, it appeared that they were booing after the opening goal, um, with the woo being the away side. But were, the, were they actually just wooing? Uh, maybe a question for listeners. Um, are they saying boo or are they saying woo um, to celebrate the goal? There's a bit of um, need, ambiguity there for me. I wasn't sure which way uh, they were going. I, I need someone to stand up right now uh, and say, I was saying woo. That's woo earns. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but, um, I, I guess, you know, I guess it's, a, it's, it's probably a Twitter poll waiting to happen, but I, I personally, like, if, 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 the, if the woo score a goal, do they say woo or is it just the opposition crowd booing? I mean, I don't know. 
I just need some answers. We've seen um, when we went down there last year, I'm pretty sure whenever there's a goal score, they play Blur's Song 2, which um, no. uh, it's good. Well, at least, it's, at least it's not Seven Nation Army. <laughs> Does Is it like a, is it one of the rules in like the A-League Constitution that every team must play Seven Nation Army in some format? It's in the Bundesliga one, that's for sure. And it just, <laughs> oh, it's just, it just, I, just it, I, I don't know where it came from. Like Seven Nation Army had been dead and buried for about 10 or 12 years. And then just out of nowhere, it just made a resurgence of football games. And then every single club decided to play it <laughs> after they scored. I don't know how it happened, but it was the pandemic before the pandemic. Blame the MLS, I think. Um, uh, speaking of the Bundesliga, have you have you heard the song that um, Bayern play whenever they score a, a goal at home? Yeah, I have. I can't, like, it just, it's not coming to me straight right now, but... Um, it's like I, this I re- real folksy, like German song. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost heard, it, um, Dortmund as well. It's almost like. Um, have you heard the the flute song that Everton walk out to as well? <laughs> just like, <laughs> I, just I, like I, the listen. least football, the, just like the least football esque songs, like the the least sort of like hyper masculine sort of songs that you could think of. It's <laughs> a strange song that Everton won. I know it's very traditional. Um, just it's just. It's very at odds with everything these days, but uh, yeah. yeah. Well, in respect to right. tradition. <laughs> um, back to to City centre back situation. Obviously, uh, Potato Rosti, uh, Roston Griffiths, he went off uh, with an injury, uh, and uh, it was announced just today. Uh, this is probably one of the worst kept secrets in in the A League over the last few days that uh, Portuguese centre back. Nuno Hayes has uh, been signed uh, to the club. Now, mate, you, you speak a little bit of Portuguese. What's uh, what's what's Hayes? Sorry, mate, you just cut out a little bit there. Hayes. Yeah, do you, do you know what that means in Portuguese? Is it H A I S? No, R E I. R E I. Oh, um, I thought it was. I thought that was something to do with sun, but I might be wrong. Well, no, Hayes um, King, I think. Yep, that's the one. So they've signed the King. They've signed Nuno King um, to to play at the back for them. And, in fact, I think he was actually their captain when they won like an underage Euros or World Cup or something a couple of years ago. So he, he does come with a pretty uh, good pedigree, um, obviously very noble pedigree. Um, he uh, They've got him on a three-year deal. Um, he looks like... He's an absolute physical specimen, real broad-chested guy, uh, sort of in the mold of uh, Bart uh, Schenkevelt from a few years ago as well. So, um, look, positive signs, I guess, for City, and hopefully they've got um, a great centre-back to uh, to play for them over the next couple of years. Um, he's, he's, he's young-ish as well. Like, I think he's only in his... Um, I think he's 27, which is still means he's got plenty of time left on the clock. So, um, that's... I guess we, we'll wait and see uh, how long it is before he's a- actually playing for, for City. I'm not sure when he actually arrived in Australia, though. So um going to be very interesting from that perspective. Might have to send um, him a few six-packs or 12-packs of the uh, Portuguese task down the road um, just to, you know, deal with that nostalgia during quarantine. Those Portuguese tarts are the king, mate. I really miss them. <laughs> um, all right, mate, anything else uh, from the Melbourne Derby? No, just um, I just a little comment on Rudin at the end blown up. I wasn't sure what that was all about. Um, was it just him getting you know titchy as usual, or I don't know? I haven't really read any further about that, but uh, it just all seemed a little bit unnecessary um, at the end. And 
it looked a little bit sore losery um, from from my perspective as a neutral, but uh, I might be wrong. Look, I'm just a bit surprised. I mean, I, I thought he was a bigger man than that, but apparently, yeah, he's he's just one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. I know, right. Um, all right, moving on, uh, Newcastle hosted uh, MacArthur in the, the final match that was played. This one was uh, Monday night. No, sorry, Sunday Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. Jeez, good, use your words, Tom. Um, this game, at least in the first half, was a lot of fun in a game that sometimes you're not really sure what you're going to get with uh, with some of these. Um, but the, in the first half, at least, there was, um, there was a goal where you had two Newcastle players and the ball and the eventual goal scorer behind the goalkeeper and it ended up being a goal which um, for, for, that's a little bit maybe maybe a little bit difficult to, to imagine but for th- those who, who saw the goal um, they would understand what I'm talking about. It's a um, pile you know, Yeah, well it was a bit of a pile on wasn't it? Yeah, the goalkeeper had gone completely walkabout so um, you don't see goals like that very often and even in the A-League which is notorious for having weird goals. Spared Donovan's um, uh, Donovan's blushes, to be honest, because he took two shots and, and didn't bury it. So, uh, yeah, it's quite lucky that it went in the end. Yeah, and um, mate, the the other thing I thought that was particularly noteworthy about this one was uh, Loic Puyol. Uh, he he scored a bicycle kick, but I've got to say, look to me on first watch, I thought that was one of the worst bicycle kicks I've ever seen. Yeah, that's a bit harsh. I mean, um, I'm just going to go back to the um, the voice of football, uh, Speedy. Um, his his commentary was, Poyle puts his name up in lights. Um, I mean, it's not like um, <laughs> it's not like uh, our commentary in Australia here to be sensationalised. Um, but uh, that that was quote. Uh, he put his name up in lights at that bicycle kick. So according to Speedy, Tommy, uh, he absolutely nailed it. Um, ten out of ten. What did you think, though? Um, I, I I thought like I thought great goal, um, but I did think that it was a, a bit of a bicycle kick chip, um, if that's a thing. Um, <laughs> oh, and like I think when I, you kind of scoop it a little bit, like you scoop it down. Yeah, like it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't like a. I mean, pretty much most bicycle kicks you watch just absolutely drill into the net because it's like if you're going to flip backwards, you're going to make either all contact or no contact. Um, so it's quite rare to see those sort of soft dink ones. And that was quite a soft, um, just well-timed, I guess you could say, Tommy, a well-timed bicycle kick chip. Mate, is this, is this, are we doing now what everyone did to Rooney when he scored that bicycle and everyone was like, oh, it was shin. shit. It was a shin. Yeah, we're doing that now to, to this. We're saying, no, it was a, it was a chip. It, it didn't wasn't a good connection. doesn't count. Shit. I don't think he gives a <laughs> shit. I mean, he's put his name up in lights now, boys. So, uh, you know, he'll, he'll be happy with that. <laughs> Great goal. And he yeah, look, he, he did he did score um did score a goal, I guess, with that one. And he also set up a um the assist we provided the assist for um Matt Derbyshire um to score what turned out to be, I guess, the the winner as well. So Puyol did have a, a pretty good game, but what did you think of I guess of his overall performance? Yeah, like I think uh I mean the I'm just. There's going to be so many, so many puns with this team over the course of this year. Um, I, I just like I was, I was taking some notes earlier, and it's the bullpen was loving it, obviously. But you had, you know, your Mick A League Mick leaders. Uh, I'm full of Mick praise for them. Um, I also thought that they were borderline um, Mick Fade FC as well. Um, I don't know if, if if the viewers noticed as much as I did, but um, some really sharp, 
haircuts out there um, for MacArthur. A lot of um, just number one up the slot, up the side, um, uh, especially the Spanish contingent uh, looking after the um, the hair really well. At least up top, I can't speak for other areas. Um, but um, <laughs> really, um, really tidy um, barber manship off the off the pitch as well. So they've, they've clearly taken to Australian life well. Um, yeah, McCarthy what? FC sharp uh, on and off the pitch. What, speaking of haircuts, mate, um, I don't know if you saw Woods' haircut in the in the Sydney game. I forgot to mention that, but that was one of the worst fucking haircuts I've seen in a long while. And we see a lot of shit haircuts watching football. It's like saying that you know the moon looks shit tonight, but then it's next to Venus or the other way around or something like that. You know, you've got Muller <laughs> on the pitch with him. It's like you could have the shittest haircut on the pitch. And then if Muller turns up, you're all right. Everyone will overlook you, you know. Because that bloke, once there was a gust of wind and you get the proc side here that just goes straight up, I mean, there was something, uh, the joker about it. Um, yeah, terrifying. There's just so many different areas you can go to with um, with Muller's hair. Like, um, I thought it reminded me a little bit of, like, if, do you remember the old Yahoo series movie, Young Einstein? It reminded me a little bit <laughs> yeah. of that. It's Mad Professor, about, something Mad Professor about it, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, which which it actually made after being reminded of that, I went, oh, I've got to watch that again because does that strike you? I, I'm not sure when the last time you saw that movie was, mate, but it strikes me as one of those movies that you'll go, oh, geez, I remember that. That was hilarious, and then you'll go back and watch it, and it'll be terrible. Yeah, you just want to keep that sort of romantic idea of it in your head. Don't, don't go back and ruin it. Yeah, um, I'm real split about whether or not I should watch it or not. <laughs> but the um, MacArthur, I mean, like you can't really ask much more than how they've started. They've started really a cracking start to the season. Um, I mean, or, you know, uh, it's I guess they're I guess to be fair, they've played a, a little bit more football than everyone else, so they've managed to get a bit more consistency, string some some games together. But um, they've they've raced out uh, into the lead. They've been let out of the uh, the ring, and let's see if they can keep it up. I mean, I think inevitably they'll have a bit of a dip. Um, uh, as they sort of um, manage the the season, but it's a good start for them. This is what this is what you want. I think the Wu did all right at the start of last season as well, and I think it's important that you start the first few games well, or at least make a good account of yourselves. Fair enough. And I guess um, we we talked a little bit last year about the importance uh, for Western United and this season for MacArthur of of them making a, a positive start to the season, and I guess to their first year as as a uh, an a-league club and um it's only goodness can come of them being successful at the very beginning of this season so even if they do fade towards the end of uh this season um it, it's good to see fans getting around the team and and seeing positive results and in, in the early days of the club so um so yeah um already mate moving on though uh still a couple more games to be played this round um tomorrow on tuesday you've got central coast um up until um, MacArthur played yesterday, were top of the league, Central Coast, might I add, um, playing against Western Sydney. Uh, mate, what's your what's your pick for this one? Who's going to who's going to take out the three points here? How many times would you say that the Mariners are the form team? I mean, that's it's, the fact. It's like, it's like twenty twelve all over again. I mean, there's there's uh, there's there's a, a sort of a. A renewed desire about that team um, from the first couple of games. It wasn't necessarily the how beautiful the goals were and that sort of thing. I mean, De Silva's was pretty nice, 
in one of those first games, but um, it was the desire. Like the, one of the goals was um, just the header over the goalkeeper, just that sort of 50-50. And um, that's probably the most pleasing thing from the managers to see the the commitment and putting the body in the line. Um, so that resilience, first and foremost, is one of the best things about the Mariners so far. Um, the results are fantastic. Obviously, that's what they'll be really caring about. But I think that my biggest criticism of them in the previous years is just that they've just been like a turnstile and they just get, you know, um, steamrolled every time a, a team sort of goes 1-0 up. So it remains to be seen how much of a backbone they've got. But so far, the, it, it looks pretty promising for them. Um, the Wanderers, the Wanderers kind of seem in the same basket as how, how they left off last, last year where you feel like they can get a result against anybody, but it's never pretty. Um, you know, uh, I think, I mean, maybe I'd be eating my words if that Muller goal um, wasn't overruled uh, recently where he scored a belter from outside the box and then it got overruled by VAR. Um, but I, I don't feel like they've quite a hit top gear either. So it kind of feels like a really even matchup at the moment. I, I really don't know which way to go. Don't sit on the fence, mate. Come on, give us a give us a prediction. Oh, or or is the draw your prediction? Uh, go on the Mariners, 2-1. Yeah, I think, um, look, a lot of people uh, don't like the Mariners and think, oh, yeah, they've been trashed for so long, drop them out of the competition. But um, they're, they're one of the foundation members of, of our league. And so, look, I personally want them to, to be a success and I, I want them to be to be good this se- um, this season again. So, mate, I'll be, I'll be rooting for the Mariners again in this one as well. So, um, be interesting to see what happens, though. Yeah. Uh, Next up, Newcastle versus Brisbane. Uh, neither team in, uh, I guess, particularly good form. The Jets obviously have lost uh, their first three games. Uh, Brisbane have won one, lost one, so sort of a bit of a mixed bag so far. Um, but some, I, I guess, some positive signs, I guess, for Newcastle. Uh, sorry, for Brisbane so far this year. Um, not really sure what to make of this one. Newcastle are the home side, which. Uh, they can they can be good, can be bad. Um, my prediction is that um, Brisbane, I think, are going to take out the three points here, uh, or it's more likely to be a draw. I, I, I don't really see um, huge positive signs coming out of Newcastle. Clubs in a bit of bit of turmoil uh, with the ownership situation, and um, if I remember correctly, um, probably much the one one of the few positive things at the Jets has been Laurie McKinnon and his stewardship there. But I have a feeling that, um, and I don't have this in my notes, um, that Laurie, McQuinn- Laurie McKinnon was appointed to like the board of um, somewhere recently. It's not coming up on his Google search, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know. And, and that just, like, it strikes me as really weird that the CEO, CEO of Newcastle would be joining another company or something, yet mm. staying on, on the Jets at the same time. So, um, look, I, I think Jets uh, fans will be really hoping that they can keep hold of Laurie McKenna because I think he's been one of the few positive things about that club over the last few years, um, even if you take out sort of that um, that 12 months that they had where what they made the made the uh, Ailey Green final. That was obviously a positive side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, mate, predicting Brisbane victory there. Um, the final match that we've got to cover though is Perth versus Adelaide. So Perth, amazingly, are yet to play a game because um, they've been pretty much locked out of the competition thus far. Uh, Jesse, what do you what do you think we can expect from this one? If you want to get into, if you've got any mates uh, who are Glory fans, just get in their ear and just sort of say, mate, no, no points on the board. Just 
really get under their skin. What's going on, mate? Shit starts of the season. Um, yeah, no, they, don't, they don't last though. <laughs> no, that's, that's pretty depressing, isn't it? Uh, you know, they haven't even played yet. Um, it'll be it'll be good just to get a look at them because we've started to see uh, already um, how um, sharp some of these teams are looking. Surprisingly sharp. Um, yeah. At least I was surprised by City the other day. I, I know that they've often promised a lot and delivered not as much as you'd expect, but they actually looked really good the other night. Um, so with Glory, I think this would just be an interesting game to get a look at them. I thought Adelaide um, were obviously helped with the the sending off of uh, Jameson in the last last fixture, I think it was, the City-Adelaide game. Um, but they also looked pretty good. Um, so... It's pretty hard to make a prediction here, mate, because I just haven't seen anything of Glory. So, assuming that Glory hit the ground running, I'm thinking it's going to be a draw, uh, maybe two-two. But um, I mm-hmm. thought Adelaide looked decent the other day, and I mean, of course, Adelaide's got a great kit, so um, it just it warms the heart watching them at the moment. Yeah, it's it's been a long time since Adelaide played uh, even just a competitive game. They they were in the Asian Champions League in uh, November and December, and uh, they their most recent competitive game was against FC Tokyo that they lost one nil. Um, but the game before that, which was the thirtieth of November, they actually drew three all with Shanghai Shenhua. So, um, well, we we know they're no slouches. I'm pretty sure that's the club that Arnautovic and a, a few others are at. No, I think I've confused him with someone else. I can't remember which is the other the other team that has um, uh, Arnautovic. I think it's the other Shen, uh, Shanghai club. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, they haven't played for over a month. It's almost six weeks now since they've played. So going to be pretty tough, I think, for Perth. But I guess the flip side is that they've really got nothing to lose. It's their first game of the season and anything can happen. So just, I think I'd be hoping to, to not have any injuries, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just... Try and, um, yeah, I, as I said, I've been surprised how sharp some of these teams look. So they're going to have to sort of start quick. But otherwise, um, they'll, uh, they'll be playing catch-up pretty fast. Exactly. All right, mate, what's your, what's your prediction for a score or a result, though? I feel like it's going to be a draw. Um, I don't want to say 1-1 because I think it's boring, so I'll say 2-2. Fair enough. Mate, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Perth are going to surprise us and, and get the 3-0 win. Wow, we? Yeah. Out on a limb. Mate, um, I just had a quick question. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. does, does the, has the A-League ever gone and, uh, and dabbled with Supercoach or Fantasy? Um, yeah. So um, regular listener, and I think we've even had him on the pod once before, Biggers, he um, he tried to get me to play A-League Fantasy a couple of years ago, and this is when I was deep in, um, deep in Premier League Fantasy and obviously doing the pod as well, and I just went... Nah, mm, I can do t- A League tipping, but that, but that's it. Um, mm. But I know it's out there, and uh, it would just be so difficult though, because you every year, like pretty much, you know that Bruce is going to score at least ten goals, Fornaroli too. Outside of that, you've got no idea who's going to who's going to be good, who's going to be trash. Mm. And um, I think I think the, the you know everyone has like different opinions about fantasy and stuff, but I think mm. that we talk a lot about on this pod about Australian football and engagement and. And I know that at least in the NRL, um, they've just, they've spent so much time refining this NRL fantasy um, format. They have a podcast every week. Um, they uh, have articles from the scout, the equivalent of the Premier League and stuff like that. And it just it really does make you want to watch more NRL. Like you'll you'll be just watching like 
the Sharks versus the Titans or something on a Sunday, which you just don't give a shit Ooh. about either team. And you don't even care. And But you're watching it because, you know, there's one player on there who you're depending on to get the points. And I just feel like from an engagement perspective, I reckon I'd, I'd watch even more A-League if, I, um, if there was fantasy. And not because I'd necessarily be taking the fantasy that seriously because, as you say, it'd be very difficult to predict. But I feel like from an engagement perspective, it'd be really good. I think the team, I think the sport needs it. Man, I think you're really onto something there, but I've got to say, I, I will take that with a bit of grain of salt, noting that you are winning the MTAG FPL League at the moment. Um, and I, I feel like this is a ruse just to get more money out of all of the More Than A Game listeners. Uh, so does anyone want to help me build this fantasy um, software? <laughs> I mean, I'm, you know, I don't want to play, guys. I don't want to play. <laughs> don't, don't want to win, you mean? Don't want to win. Don't want to win. No. Um, <laughs> I, um, I triple captain Mo Salah this week, guys. So don't... don't, don't um, don't follow me. Uh, and I also, um, I did bring Antonio in, so I was happy with that. But, uh, yeah, still sweating a little bit on Mo for his second fixture. Just swimming in points, aren't you, mate? Um, speaking of, uh, it actually dovetails quite nicely onto the next segment before we wrap things up, which is uh, a bit of an update on how the A-League Survivor tipping is going. Um this is uh, for, for some of the listeners who might not be aware, we've been running a, a survivor tipping comp whereby if you, uh, it's only one tip per week uh, and if you get it wrong, basically you're out. Um, so we had 35 people that joined up in week one. We lost, I think, half of them in the first week and then we lost about another 10 more in the second week, um, which only left three players left. We had Jack McDonald on Facebook, HSN on Twitter and obviously Shabab on both. Um Still only one entry for Shabab, though. Uh, Jack McDonald was out uh, this week. He, uh, I can't remember who he picked. Uh, hold on. Um, Shabab picked uh, City, though, and HSN picked MacArthur, so they're obviously successful. Um, McDonald picked... <laughs> it's loading. Uh, McDonald picked uh sydney who obviously drew so um jack's out uh bad luck mate um but uh hsn and shabab are still in the running now i don't really have a prize so this is just for, for bragging points at this point how is anybody but, uh, still in the running when the mariners have won two games i mean who picked that and how are they still in the competition incredible i know um i, I have to say that um uh, poor Shabab. I think that if he if he does end up taking this out, it's going to be a bit controversial though, because um, I, I think I think some people um, they have um, they have a rule in their survivor tipping that basically it's only you can only pick each team once, and Shabab's pick City twice. Now we didn't stipulate that you had to be only pick one team once, so uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think if Shabab does take this out, we're going to have to put an asterisk next to his name. Why are we? Technicality. <laughs> From technicality, Tommy strikes again. <laughs> Hello and uh, welcome to the Premier League segment this week. Uh, so I'm Tommy C, obviously, joined by Andy, both of us in our respective bedrooms, on opposite <laughs> sides of the world. Just a, a sign of the times, really. Um, Andy, how are you, mate? I'm I'm good. It's 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 like we're in a long distance relationship, Tommy. <laughs> I feel like I should be lying on my bed, like kicking my feet up in the background, like twiddling the, twiddling, twiddling the phone. But uh, no, I'm I'm well, mate. Except, you know, we are we're obviously again back in our uh, 
our, our customary lockdown for, for this time of the year. So not much else to do. Andy, Andy, for the for the listeners who are maybe catching this on the podcast version, uh, what, what are you wearing? <laughs> I'm wearing a T-shirt and jeans, Tommy. Um, uh, if you want to know what's underneath, you'll have to buy me a drink first. <laughs> Very good. All right. Um, look, let's let's uh, drop the the poor play and get on to some football, shall we? <laughs> um, first up, though, uh, look, less uh, because of the actual match itself, but more because it gives us an opportunity to talk about them. We're going to be talking about um, Burnley versus Man United. Uh, first up, obviously, Man United got the victory. Uh, a poor Pogba goal. Um, gave Men United top spot in the Premier League, which is really, I guess, the big takeaway from this match, um, which was played, I think, almost four four, da- four days ago now. Um, but look, uh, we've kind of... I think it's it's been said already that everyone is just... doesn't really know what to make of Men United being uh, top of the league at this point. Um, they haven't been particularly consistent. They haven't been particularly... Um, uh, uh, sort of pleasing on the eye either. I mean, they've they've shown bursts um, in games where they've been they've been poor and then just really turned it on for about twenty minutes and and scored a few goals. But um, I guess the real test for for Men United is going to be coming up tonight, um, as it is against uh, against Liverpool, yeah. where they're really going to be seeing not necessarily a, a team that's at their best, but we're going to be seeing a top team who um, have made a habit out of winning, regardless of whether or not they play well or not. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, look, we, we will uh, swing back around um, to talk more about Manchester United versus Liverpool. But um, I guess uh, if there's one player I do want to talk about, and um, if forgive me if, again if this feels like we've done this to death, but but Paul Pogba, I mean, it, the, the transfer window is open, and, and shock horror, Paul Pogba decides to turn up and, and play good football, scores goals, and um, he. Um, He's been rightly touted as, as the manly man of the match um, out of this result. Um, how shocked were you about this, Andy? Well, Tommy, if it feels like we've done this to death, it's um, because we have. Uh, <laughs> as, as, you, as you rightly point out, like it is, it is the case that every transfer window, whether it's to negotiate a new contract or to get a or to angle for a move away, uh, that is the time when, I mean, that and when he's playing for France is where is where Paul seems to play his absolute best. Um, mm. All of that being said, uh, yeah, not not shocked at all in his performance because he is a world class player on his day, and he when he does put it on, so mm. um, he was great. His goal was very well taken. It was it felt like a bit of a it felt like a vintage pog for goal, even though I mean it did take a deflection, um, but that you know downwards volley yeah, that looked that was just like a classic pog the movement. <laughs> A real sort of technically excellent, uh, excellent uh, moment that he, he, yeah. he he's not going to do that for you every game, but he is going to pull that out sort of every fourth or fifth game for you, and you it's know a, that you're going to get. It's a reminder of what he can do. Exactly, it's a reminder mm. of, of like for a guy with his, you know, just his athletic ability, but he is like his genuine skill force. Like is he is a world class midfielder. So, um, and I think, um, I think the. The biggest issue, I think, with Pogba has been not necessarily his attitude or anything like that. I think the biggest uh, issue with Paul Pogba over the last few years is the pressure that came along with that that huge transfer fee. And yeah. because there's been this expectation that he's going to score 20 goals a season or get 20 assists a season, and I just don't think he's ever been that kind of player. And I think we're, we're now maybe seeing Paul Pogba in a space where he's... Um, 
he doesn't have the same expectation that's been placed on him because he was sidelined for so long and, and Man United sort of found a bit of a groove. Um, now we sort of come back into the side and, and he can sort of carve out a bit of a niche for himself as opposed to being the main man. The main guy. Were. I think it's 100% mm. right. And, again, we've talked about it before, but this is where the importance of Fernandez to whether Pogba plays well is because it's not just through him. And even at his absolute best at Juventus or even for France, He's not the only guy. Um, they ha- mm. He has to have other good players around him. Superstar in his own right, but like he was never going to fix all of United's problems, and I, and I still don't think that's the case. Um, so, yeah. Oh. Oh. so mate, yeah. you mentioned at the top though. Um, what do you think is going to be happening with Paul Pogba this window? Do you think he's going to get a contract extension, or do you think he's going to be leaving? I think they extend him. I don't think Man United, as or, while they might, you know even potentially today, end up six points clear if, if you know, I mean, God willing, it doesn't happen. But uh, you know, if, <laughs> if they were to get the win today and be six points clear, I don't think they're in a position where they can let that sort of player go. Um, I mean, It, it would be a bit of a disaster. Yeah. yeah. It would be a disaster for, for Men United if they sold him, I think, in this window because... Uh, especially because of the depressed uh, economic environment for all of these clubs, even the biggest clubs, the Barcelona's, Real Madrid's of the world, I don't think any of them would be able to afford much more than about thirty million at this point. And so, for for yeah, for them to be selling him for thirty million at this point, I think would be a, a bit of a disaster for them, which probably you, means you it's going to well, happen. Who could, well, who could they? Who could they? Well, you know, possibly, but you know, who could they, who would they bring in? I mean, are you then going to just rely on? Um, uh, McTominay, Van der Beek's hasn't really kicked off this season. It's just going to become a Bruno Fernandez show, you know, even more so than it than it is now. So, uh, I think that would be a disastrous move for them. I think they need to have, and just as just like the optics of it for for the club. You think you brought this guy back, okay? It hasn't quite worked out the way it was, but the team's finally getting going, uh, relatively speaking. And now you're going to flog this guy off for you know, half of what you've already made for. That, that would be a disaster. They'd be mad to do that. Exactly. So uh, there you have it. All signs point to Pogba getting a, a contract extension. Yeah. Um, and, and returning just... to, you know, <laughs> the bare minimum, <laughs> the bare minimum performance levels. Exactly. Um all right, we'll move on though. Lots of football that we're going to be covering um, this week um, in our Premier League segment. Um, and next up, Damo's uh, team, Sheffield United, managed to, to break their duck for the season and finally get off the mark with uh, their first win. Uh, not a particularly fun game. Both sides either lacking quality in the final term, uh, in the final third or just lacking time in the opposition's final third. Um, as it were, Billy Sharp, of course, provided the decisive goal from the penalty spot to give Sheffield United the 1-0 win. Um, not not particularly surprised, to be honest, uh, out of uh, these two teams that there was only one goal scored and that it was from the penalty spot. Um, yeah, I, I kind of hoped that Damo would be around to cover this one because I, I didn't watch more than the highlights. Um. <laughs> I watched the, the first half uh, and then went to sleep at halftime and, oh, geez, uh, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't an easy watch. I feel, uh, I feel bad. I, I've got so much like no, not and not just because of my um, you know, of deep, deep and and you know, everlasting affection for Damo, but like I feel really bad for Sheffield <laughs> because I'm like this is not a bad team and like they don't play badly, but I, I just feel like they've just had one of those seasons, uh, like they kind of need a bit of a refresh maybe, but 
I just don't like they've kind of just run out of time. And even if they play like this for the rest of the season, I don't think it's possible for them to to stay up. And it's a bit disappointing. They're still very much in the in the hunt. I mean, well, they are they're six points behind West Brom, and I yeah. guess the the bad thing for Sheffield United is that West Brom and Fulham have they haven't actually exactly. been in terrible form lately. So no, um, they're, they're, they're relying on them to drop off. If so, you kind of mm. need all three things to go their way, and that that's what I'd be worried about. Yeah, I think it's going to be far closer than it is at the moment. Um, come the end of the season, though, for for Sheffield United. Yeah. Um, uh, moving on, though, uh, Wolves, who we're going to be covering again in a little bit more detail. Um, they hosted Everton. Uh, Everton got the win there. Uh, a resurgent Everton, actually, who um, have won five of their last six games, which um, I don't think anyone's really talking about Everton's form at the moment, but no. it surprised me when I scratched the surface a little bit there. Um, Luca Dean returned from injury, who's a massive return for them. Uh, he, he provided the assist for Michael Keane um, to score the winner, which ended up separating the two teams. Um, Manchester City hosted Brighton, uh, another game where there was only a single goal in it. Um, this time, Phil Foden, he got the winner in this game. Um, Andy, you're over in the UK. Oh, we might have lost Andy there for a second. No, I'm, I'm, I'm back. Yeah. I'm very much, very much back, back in the picture, back in the game. Sorry about that. <laughs> Andy, um, you're over in the UK. Did you catch what um, Gary Lineker has nicknamed um, Phil Foden? I didn't. I've seen people tweeting about it, but I, I didn't actually hear what he said. He he said uh, Phil Foden, more like Filth Foden, um, as in like filthy. Which, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about I don't know about that. I mean, I've only ever known uh, Phil Foden as uh, the Stockport Iniesta. Yeah, I don't know. I've never liked that. I mean, the guy had barely played thirty games, I think, for for City, and he was being uh, having a, a huge nickname like that thrown on his shoulders. I mean, it hasn't worked he's, out he's, real well for Angus Bergate in Messi, the um... <laughs> or the Welsh Messi, Joe Allen. <laughs> <laughs> no, was he? He's the Welsh Perlo, isn't he? Oh, it doesn't matter, actually. <laughs> Either way, it's Joe Allen. You're right. <laughs> Either way, Joe Allen's still playing in the championship right now. So, yeah. <laughs> um, moving on, though, uh, Spurs hosted uh, Fulham. Uh, and I would have probably put this down as a um, was a pretty straightforward three points for, for Spurs. But um, Spurs just, they, they seem to jump around between uh, regulation wins and just cruising past uh, opposition to making things really difficult against uh, teams that they really shouldn't be making things difficult yeah. against. Um, they they went up through uh, a really nice regular cross uh, to, to Kane for a good goal yeah. for them. And only after 25 minutes, though, and uh, the, the score stayed at 1-0 until the 73rd minute where uh, Cavaliero's header um, from a nice Lockman cross uh, beat uh, Hugo Lloris, which meant that um, it stayed one all for the remainder of the game. And I guess if, if this was ever a, a, a game that highlighted that um, out of Ireland and Dyer aren't Terry and Carvalho, uh, it was this, is like Fulham have struggled to score goals all, all year, and yeah. here they are. They, they uh, Spurs can't keep a clean sheet against them. So, um, just you'd be screaming at the TV, I think, if you're a Spurs fan watching this uh, this one. Well, you just you just wonder because you think we're, we're at home. This is a Spurs team that you know is is in theory supposed to be challenged for the title. They are supposed mm-hmm. to have uh, you know a, a master tactician in in Mourinho at, at the helm. 
and yet they invited so much pressure on themselves for the entire game. And I, I, although, yes, it is a Fulham team that is not necessarily clicking an attack and, and not scoring sort of as many goals as they need to. But over the course of the game, they'll get a chance eventually. And especially this, like you said, this Spurs back line is not, you know, while it's this team has Mourinho, a lot of it, correct, it's got a lot of the makings of Mourinho team in that they're they're physical, they counter attack well, like they've got they've got a lot of the hallmarks, but not all of them, and that there is, there is still a, a softer soft defensive underbelly in in this team, and they will concede goals if they invite pressure like that, and and you've got to wonder what like what was the plan here? Like was it really just to, to win one nil or? Uh, it was. It was also yeah. that when even even they didn't seem to be counterattacking. Like they kind of just would defend and then play the ball out. And like they they didn't really put guys forward. I guess this is the the challenge for Spurs at the moment is that like they're they're coming off of the New Year, uh, the Christmas New Year period, and I think they're probably just shattered and. There's no one else still really apart from Kane who can who can step into that um, into that front line and and there are other players that can play a, a similar role to Son but but also none of them are nearly as effective as Son. I mean, yeah. um, I did see on Twitter in the last few days uh, people questioning like what, why isn't Bale playing more often? Like yeah, he, that was my next question. But... His talent is is unquestioned um, at this point in his career, but I mean. Surely, surely he's got to be contributing both in minutes and and in goals as well. And this, this, you think this is a bit of a no-brainer, right? You're up one nil. Bring him on with thirty minutes to go, and 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 let him play himself into some form while uh, while a little bit of the pressure's off against a team that really is sort of struggling a little bit. But and and Tom, can I just kind of check? Are you you're not saying that Spurs are too reliant on Kane and Son, are you? <laughs> I think I posed that question last week. <laughs> Or at least we discussed that point. Um, but, yeah. but mate, we, uh, we talk about um, we talked about Everton's form just before. Um, Spurs' form, they've only won once in their last five, um, including two losses and uh, two draws. So, yeah, just like I remember, it wasn't that long ago. I think it was only a month ago we were saying, geez, this Spurs side, they look really good going forward. They, they're keeping clean sheets. And everything's just kind of fallen apart a little bit pretty much since then. So, um, I mean, they're, they're only um, – so they're five points behind Leicester who are in second and they've played the uh, – sorry, they're six points behind Man United and they've played the same number of, of games. So um, they they could still be um, only, I guess, three points off of top spot potentially if, if results go their way. Um, and, and it's just, I guess, a crazy season where if any team in that sort of top four gets, um, gets any real um, burst of um, – uh, consistency, they're, they're going to be a really good shout to take out the title. So um, yeah. it, it almost reminds me a little bit of um, that first Chelsea season under Conte, how like no one really grabbed the season by the scruff of the neck. And then in about November, um, Chelsea just went on a great run of form. And by sort of March or April, like they'd pretty much wrapped up the title just because sort of out of nowhere, they just went, yep, cool, we're going to just take this competition by the scruff of the neck. Yeah. So um, I think the the league is sort of screaming out for that. It looked like Liverpool were going to do it as well, but... That's, yeah, I'll that's that. Um, you know, and that... But, but and we've talked about this point before already, but because of the fixture congestion, you can pick mm. up and lose momentum really quickly. Um, yeah. You know, rather than you know, when, when you're playing two to three games a, a week, it seems, uh, it only takes 
three wins to all of a sudden be Everton and they've had their third coming now of like Everton's back in form. <laughs> it's the third time it's happened um, and Spurs have dropped off. Like this is going to keep happening uh, throughout the year. You mentioned about sort of the the fixtures as well, and I mean, like I've I've got the table in front of me now, and um, you still got a huge range of teams in terms of how many games they've all played. So yeah. um, Villa Villa are down in tenth on on twenty six points, but they're um, they're, they're th- they've got three matches in hand and could see themselves jump up to second if they win all three of those. So yeah. it's it's just a it's a crazy season. It's a false, it's a false table, and it's going to be like that. I think right up until the, until the end. I mean, except two weeks ago, it was. Um, I think City had two games in hand. They may still do. I can't yeah. remember actually. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Mate, one one final thing before we move on, though. Um, uh, Ericsson's been linked with a return back to Spurs uh, after <laughs> to leaving. Um, there's there's no one else really that I could think of who who would be sort of a, a good fit for at this point. Uh, I'm quite surprised things haven't worked out for him at, at Inter, but. Alas, they haven't. I, um, on the other hand, if, I'm not surprised they haven't worked out for him at Inter. <laughs> Mate, if, you, if you're Daniel Levy and Jose, do you take Ericsson? <sighs> no, I play Balemore. I know he's not the same player, but like, there seems to if you need an alternative in, in, in attack, there seems to be one there on the bench. But uh, I mean, what, what are the terms of them taking him back permanently? I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing it would be on loan. Alone. Yeah. Oh, if, on, loan, if, on loan, I'll take him. With, with an extra bit of context, it, it um, sounds as though Pochettino is going to be taking Deli Alley on loan to PSG. Do you uh, think if Deli Alley leaves, do you think Ericsson comes back? I think there's a bit more space there in, in the squad. I mean, mm-hmm. I still think Mourinho hasn't made up his mind on, on Deli Alley. He's barely played, hasn't he? Yeah. I mean, he played that cup game and was very impressive apart from um, there's, there's a very funny clip of him going ass over and the, and the Spurs bench laughing at him. Mate, are you talking about the game where Spurs played against the, a team from the eighth tier of, of English football? Is that the game you're referring to? Might be. I can't remember who they played. But... <laughs> Marine, yeah. So I'm a little bit shocked that you're saying that that means that Deli Alley's back in favour. <laughs> No, 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 no. That was the last time I remember him playing, and he was, and he looked very good in that game. And, and Mourinho said, "Oh, Delhi was fantastic today." Ah, uh, right, okay. That's, that was um, that was right. Fair enough. All right, we'll, we'll keep moving on because, like I said, we've got a lot of football to cover today. Yeah. Um, Arsenal hosted Crystal Palace in a game where neither side could break down the other, and it stayed nil all. Um, in rela- in Arsenal-related news, though, uh, it seems Arsenal uh, are going to be releasing Mesut Ozil from his golden cage. Um, unclear what the finances are uh, involved with this yeah. deal, but it looks as though um, Arsenal are going to uh, terminate uh, Ozil's contract. Uh, I'm not sure if Fenerbahce are going to contribute anything financially towards that or not, but um, yeah. it's... Uh, I jumped the gun a little bit there. It looks as though Ozil's going to be going to Fenerbahce in Turkey, um, yeah. which, I mean, it's it's pretty sad how this has all turned out. And I think um, whilst Ozil not, may not necessarily be everyone's cup of tea, I think um, there's still every uh, football fan can appreciate um, Ozil on his good days. Yeah, I mean, if I was him, I would I would be making a, a very uh, tongue-in-cheek, you know, this is my dream move, <laughs> like speech. Like, like oh, it's always been, it's always been a dream to leave Arsenal <laughs> um, after three years. 
but I mean, it just feels I, like I it's gone on so long. I, I can't believe it's gone on this long. I think it's been 18 months or something that he hasn't played for, which is just ridiculous, right? And, and um, like 18 and, months he hasn't played, and then like before that he was like not playing regularly, and you know, like, mm. like when was last time he played consistently? It's it feels like it was three years ago. Probably it's about that. I, I'm surprised it's Fenerbahce. I, I would have hoped that you know he could have um, angled a move to Spain or Italy. But maybe he wants to go home, and that, that's why. Because I just feel like this, he's still got, like, there is obviously still talent left in in him. It's just a shame that I think probably what should have been his best years now, um, or at least some of his best years, have um, have been sat on the bench. Yeah, agreed. I think he could still, um, I guess the, the challenge is for him is that football seems to have sort of gone past Mesut Ozil and um, yeah. that sort of lang- languid style um, and him not really being a player that you could build a build a team around for the next few years. Um, it, it's a hard to hard move, I think, to justify, I think, to uh, for a coach or or even from a financial perspective because I guess he's, he's probably outside of um, Germany or, or Turkey. I think he's not really going to be uh, putting bums on seats. He's not going to sell a lot of jerseys um, anymore after no. the last few years. So. If, if they could get the right deal for him, you know, a bit like, you know, Fiorentina bringing in Frank Ribery, like, or, you know, you've got yeah. Slatan playing at Milan. If you could get the right deal for him, I feel like he's, he'd be a great player for any team. But like you said, I don't know if they can... Um, can it's a good comparison. Him. It's a good comparison, actually, about Ribery. I, I mean, I don't know what sort of money Ribery's on, but I guess, like... Uzzle's on, I think, three hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week, um, from, from memory. He's not get that so, anywhere, exactly right. But he's still also not going to go and pay for play for twenty thousand pounds a week either, though, um, which is probably what you get um, in Spain or Italy if you're not going to like a, a Juventus or an Inter or a Real Madrid or Barcelona, because um, it's yeah. it's just not a lot of money floating around at the moment. So, um, I. I I guess if there's one redeeming feature, it's probably that we're likely to see him again in uh, at least the Europa League or Champions League with with Fenerbahce, and maybe in the next uh, six to twelve months. Hopefully, hopefully they play Arsenal. They would, they would that, that would just oh. if 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 Ozil could send Arsenal out of uh, the Europa League, that would just be a dream. <laughs> <laughs> but and do you know what? It'll be good because it might finally mean that Arsenal can move on from this and have you know a, I mean that they've got him off the off the wage books and another place in the squad that they'll need to fill. So, you know, maybe it opens the space up for oh, uh, I don't know. Um, it may... Don't know. Time will tell. Um, but moving on to, to last night's games, though, finally. So um, first up was a game that, look, I've got to be perfectly honest, I wasn't expecting much out of the Black Country derby between Wolves and West Brom. Um, it was the first game up, and I thought, yeah, all right, I'll watch it. I'll, I'll go through the motions, see see if I can't be pleasantly surprised. And it was a lot of fun, this game. It, it had a lot going on, and um, obviously Sam Allardyce's teams are never really renowned for playing uh, champagne football, but... Um, yeah, they they kind of they didn't necessarily turn on the champagne football, but um, there, there was plenty going on in this game. Um, Willie Bolly had a pretty uh, had a pretty wild ninety minutes as well. Um, pretty much single handedly turning it into an exciting game. Uh, he, he scored one. He provided an assist for for Fabio Silva to get his first um, outfield goal, I think, uh, for oh, in the Premier League, um, yeah. and also gave away a penalty in a in a five goal thriller which saw the lead change three times. Um, that there in a nutshell probably sums up uh, how, how much fun this game was. Um, 
big game as well also for Sam Allardyce. He got his first win for, for West Brom after taking over uh, about 10 days ago. So um, obviously big result for Sam and West Brom. And I guess also for Fulham and Sheffield United too and sort of the chasing pack. Um, but I guess it also... Um, not just those two teams, but also I guess Burnley and Brighton as well. Um, they're obviously very keen, keenly keeping an eye on the teams that are around them too. Um, uh, Mateus uh, Pereira, he ended up getting two goals from the penalty spot, uh, and Semi Ajayi ended up getting a, a goal from a from a, a big Sam speciality, the old long throw into the box, and then a centre back converts. This was just. Yeah. This is Sam Allardyce to a T. You, you, um, you could tell he was just loving that. <laughs> <laughs> just the shithousery, right? Like, um, mate, do you think, I think there is one scenario in which West Brom stay up and I think the only but that goes along with it is that it will mean that West Brom won't score a goal from open play again for the remainder of this season. <laughs> That's it's not a bad shout, Tommy. I'm 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 glad glad this is go, this is going to be on on tape because uh, if it comes true, then that'd be incredible. Um, so see how long I'm, it is before they score again from open play. Yeah. Um. I, I, what 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 are your thoughts on Wolves? So I, I feel like they can feel hard done by on this one. Um. I, I thought the penalty was a bit ridiculous. Um. And they just yeah. kind of like. Which one? Um, or the second one in particular? The second one in particular. Second one in particular. Yeah. Like he, got, he got the ball. Like, I, I don't understand. It's it's real good. frustrating, not necessarily just because it was a penalty, but because everyone seems to, to say, oh, no, there was contact. So, yeah, it's a penalty. And it's like, well, like, he, he barely touched him. And yeah, like he, you, he got the you ball. See, I guess like, it's, it's they, they feel the contact and then it's literally just bodies go limp and they just fall to the ground, which makes it like it's not, not particularly enjoyable to watch even because you don't go, oh, yeah, he was definitely fouled. There you go. Oh, all right. He was barely touched. And then it goes to VAR and VAR doesn't check whether it was a foul. They check whether there was contact. And it's like, which is, yeah, oh, I think, on, I think it's the wrong thing. Yeah, there, there may well be contact. But the question was, was it, you know, was it contrary to the rules? Um, Wolves, I, I think, yeah, I, I feel I feel for their fans because, again, a bit like Sheffield, I'm like, this is not a bad team, and yet they're in a really bad run of form. Um, they're obviously crying out for Jimenez to come back. And yeah. uh, the, defensively at the back, I don't know, sort of know what's what's happened. This was a, a fairly well-organised team, but at the moment, uh, they kind of just... Seem like- it seemed like both teams just couldn't defend set pieces. Um, yeah. Curiously, Wolves have gone to a back four um, in the last few weeks, which, um, yeah. excuse me, this I think this was the first time I'd watched Wolves in entirety for a few weeks and I, it was the first time I'd realised it. And, um, yeah, it was a real surprise because, I mean, Nuno has, has pretty much built this team, I think even since they were in the championship, around playing yeah. three at the back and, yeah. and, and playing sort of um, – Two or three through the middle, but um, yeah, it's it's strange, and I, I guess um, I think they're they're missing Castro on the left, um, Johnny Castro. Um, yeah. They haven't really like I think they were playing Roman Saiz on the left um, yeah. yesterday, and yeah. you just sense that they're a little bit just out of whack at the moment, and, and it's not just the fact that Jimenez is missing, and no. I guess um, what, what we are seeing, I think from from Wolves, I guess, is that 
because they don't have that presence up front, it just makes it so much more difficult to, to stay in games and to control games um, because there's there's no one to hold up the ball, which means that the ball comes back to your defence so much quicker. Um, and that's that's physically tiring, but it's also mentally tiring as well. And it gives you a sense that oh, it's a, it's a matter of time until um, until we're going to concede. So I, I do suspect that that's playing a bit of a role, not just in them having um, yeah. them offensively, they're, they're struggling to score goals, um, but offensively, sorry, defensively as well. There's one one thing I do want to mention before we move on, and yeah. it's about um, uh, Fabio Silva. I mean. Yeah. Like, that he does not play like an eighteen-year-old, and and yeah, he's still really coming to terms as as what it like what it means to be a professional footballer. But geez, like, you can but, see yeah. you can see that there's a footballer there, right? Like how he took that goal, that um, the second Wolves goal was. Uh, I thought that was that really um, was a player who who didn't look like he was eighteen. That was, uh, I, and I was quite happy for him because I felt uh, uh, you, know, you can see the frustration with Wolves fans. Like, okay, this kid's good, but like he's not the answer right now. We need someone else because yeah. it's just a lot of pressure for um for him. But uh, as you mm-hmm. say, like you can see, he's this this kid's a good player. Like, curiously, um, Wolves uh, recalled Patrick Catrone. Uh, oh yeah, Catrone, sorry, Catrone, yeah, um, and, um, from. Fiorentina, and he came on and had a really good chance, and I think he hit the crossbar or, or he put it wide. He just, he just kind of, uh, he, he volleyed it down into the ground, but it was sort was of like right. the, he got his, he got his angle wrong, and it was sort of too close to him and went way too high. He's yeah. again, he's another guy. He was, he was had an outstanding season like three years ago, and you can tell there is a player there somewhere. I feel like he should have come on ten minutes earlier. Because he made a difference when he was on, so I don't know what they maybe Nuno seen something in training, but I feel like he needs to get more time. Yeah, and I guess that's been the problem with Catrone, though, hasn't it? That like he yeah. he needs more minutes. He and I, I think that his whole time at uh, Wolves, like he hasn't really had that much game time. Even he's been getting on a lot, but yeah, if, you, if you're only playing ten minutes, it's pretty bloody hard. That, to that's get that's what he gets. Of... And you kind of kind of have to ask him, you know, like, okay, so is he good enough to play or not? Because if he's good enough, then he should be getting more than ten minutes every week. Um, otherwise, like you have to get someone else in, but. Mm. Uh, I Indeed, feel for, I feel for Wolves fans. <laughs> um, moving on though, uh, Leeds hosted Brighton as well last night. Uh, Leeds struggled to to create any clear cut chances against the Brighton side who hadn't won in ten games. Um, Brighton did take the lead though on the seventeenth minute after some really tidy, incisive passing. Um, Andy, I don't know about you, but every time I've watched this uh, this Brighton goal um, that I think uh, Neil Mopay scored, all I think of is I think, yeah, okay, it's good passing, yep, nice. And then I can't look past Luke Ayling just ball watching on the penalty spot as Neil Mopay like taps the ball in like in acres of space behind him. And I mean, like you and I, like we we've played our fair share of indoor and outdoor, but. How gutting is that feeling when you you turn over your shoulder and you see your man who you're meant to be marking and he's scoring and you go, oh, shit. Put the hand up. Sorry, boys. And I can just imagine how Luke Ayling felt, especially given that that ended up being the decisive goal. So, um, yeah, tough, tough day at the office, I guess, for Luke Ayling and, and for Leeds as well. Um, if we can lean on um, Damo's favourite subject, XG, for, for a moment to, to illustrate, I guess, the golf in, in chances created by both teams. Leeds had a, a, an aggregate XG for the game of 0.21. So that's 
what a quarter of a goal almost. Whilst Brighton uh, at least had uh, 1.18. So obviously that's a big chance that um, Malpai tap in, but both teams really sort of struggled, I think, in this game. Yeah. Um, not a not a great uh, match that I don't think uh, many of the purists will uh, remember, apart from maybe that um, the three three passes leading up to that goal. Yeah. Uh, game played at the same time, uh, which isn't a common uh, feature of uh, the Premier League at the moment, was West Ham playing Burnley. Um, this one also finished one all. Uh, correction, one nil to to West Ham. Um, this this again wasn't a real uh, classic match. Uh, West Ham went up uh, quite early through uh, Michael Antonio. Probably the highlight of the match would have been Michael Antonio's celebration afterwards. Uh, Andy, did you catch this one? Uh, I I saw him speaking about it afterwards, but uh, yeah, I mean, to, you know, talk us through it. For, for the for those who didn't catch it at home, um, uh, Mikhail Antonio scored, then uh, jogged off to the corner flag and then uh, lay down on the ground and pretended to do backstroke. Now, like, I, I'm not aware of where this came from, but in, in the last uh, couple of hours uh, prior to the pod, I did stumble across um, someone who posted on Twitter a, a clip of Declan Rice saying that if um, if Antonio scores, he has to go to the corner post and lie down on the ground and basically pretend to do backstroke Um swimming so that that's where i'm guessing it comes from it's basically just decky rice just taking the piss out of him but um i mean it's some antonio, sort of I get... ground joke but yeah <laughs> uh i mean antonio he just seems to be a real funny guy just good value and so um i guess it's good to have people like that around the club uh any club that can sort of lighten lighten the mood a little bit um, um tommy just on west ham quick shout out to uh my boy um of bonner who, he's killing uh, it at the he's, moment. He's, he's, yeah, and it's like it's really nice to see as like a guy I've watched, watched in Serie A for, for years and who had like so much potential. It was actually quite sad to see him go um, to go to the Premier League and that took him a while, I think, to sort of find his feet. But he's obviously a uh, a talented player and graduated from, you know, the the Harvard of, uh, of great defenders. Um, <laughs> he's, um, it's really, really nice to see him playing, uh, playing as well. And I think he's like a big part of, uh, you know, West Ham's good form at the moment um, comes from the back. Not just, uh, I guess, at the moment, but this whole season, I, I think it would be a, a decent shout to say uh, Ogbon has probably been our player of the season thus far. He's definitely been the most consistent by by a long way. Um, but uh, alongside him, uh, I guess one of the re- the other surprises has been Craig Dawson's uh, form of late as well. He's a player that yeah. uh, when he was signed at the beginning of the season on loan from Watford, I think um, everyone at the club thought that, oh, yeah, he's his fifth choice. We, we just needed an experienced hand uh, around around the club. And now um, it seems as though he's jumped above um, uh, Issa Diop. And Balbuena got, I think, injured or he was uh, he had to go into isolation because of COVID because um, yeah. he was a close contact. And and now Craig Dawson, he's, um, he's played four matches um, hasn't conceded any goals in those four matches, and he scored in in one of them as well. So um, he, he's had a great start to his West Ham career. And I, I did see even in the last forty eight hours that um, someone has suggested that um, he's only on loan. Hey, make make the deal permanent now so that um, uh, we can hold on to Craig Dawson into the future, which I think has really surprised a lot of people because um, there, there was only negative vibes around uh, him as a signing when he first arrived um, in the off season. So, um, 
Look, uh, one other thing that um, I guess many, many listeners will have noticed is that uh, Seb Allaire, uh he moved on from West Ham. West Ham's record signing moved on to Ajax for pretty much half of the, the fee that was either paid or or was or the total fee that wasn't yet uh, fully paid out. But uh, he's gone to Ajax. He's already got a goal and assist. Um, and, <laughs> You're joking. I didn't see that. That's amazing. And uh, I mean, you could you could really see that Alaire's heart wasn't in it um, in those sort of final six months at the club. He, he was he was obviously signed by um, uh, Pellegrini, and he, he just wasn't the kind wasn't the kind of player that uh, that Moyes wanted uh, up front. He wanted someone who could run the channels, and and Allaire, he can be quick, but he we just haven't seen any turn of pace or or really any. Um, significant sort of work work rate um since since Moyes has ended up taking over so pretty disappointing but what are you what are you gonna do with your hilarious jersey Tommy? I don't know I'll probably put it with the Arnautovic jersey as well. <laughs> in, <laughs> in the pan in the pantheon of, of emotional uh, emotional departures. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't buy um any more West Ham jerseys with names on the back because so far I've got um I've got Tom Beatties, who's obviously passed away. Um, yep. I've got Noble, and he isn't playing anymore pretty much, but obviously he's the club captain still, though. Yep. Um, and, yeah, I, I got um, pretty much it was the week that the Arnautovic jersey arrived that um, Arnautovic said, no, no, I, I want to go to China. And that ended up lasting six months before that was that was finally resolved. Um, and then, obviously, Alain, yeah, well, I got, I think it was last season's jersey and... <laughs> But we can see how that how well that's worked out. So, look, no, um, Noble was a solid investment, but other than that, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. A um, couple of names that are being touted, um, and, and Andy, I know, is uh, an, an avid Serie A and uh, and other other leagues throughout Europe. You might um, might know some of these names. Um, Alaire is possibly being re- replaced by, uh, I think it's Daxon at RB Salzburg, um, yep. and Zola at Spezia, or Dia, who's at Rem uh, in France. Uh, all of those are, are in good form at the moment. I think Dia, the one at Rem, I, I think he's on a bit of a purple patch, which he hasn't really had a season like this before, but um, which which is always a little bit concerning that you, you get someone based on form of 10 matches and they go back to yeah, sort yeah. of their... Their, their form for maybe the last few years, but um, okay, yeah, so scenario, um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, apart from Antonio, it leaves uh, 18 year old uh, Udubeko, uh on the bench for, for West Ham at the moment. So I guess we'll, we'll see how that's going to play out. Um, he didn't get on against Burnley, which was a little bit disappointing, but I guess at the same time, West Ham were only up one nil against Burnley with, um, excuse me, like ten minutes to go, so and and they weren't playing particularly well. I, I wouldn't have been surprised if Burnley had equalised in the in the final um, ten or fifteen minutes there, but last they just couldn't find the quality to to get them back in, get themselves back into the game. Yeah. Um, moving on though, uh, Fulham hosted Chelsea, and and I've got to say, Andy, I'm a little bit disappointed that George isn't on the pod to to dissect this one because this was a bit of a, a classic Chelsea performance, I thought, to be honest. Um, uh, in that they were okay. shit. Ah, uh, yeah, good. Um, I was going to say, I'm like, which which version of uh, Chelsea was it? Classic. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it was the 2020 version of Chelsea, the Frank Lampard version of Chelsea. Um, 
Yeah, I, I thought they were really disappointing in the first half. Uh, obviously, Werner and Havertz uh, both started on the bench. Um, and Giroud started up top, um, which I thought, okay, all right, well, maybe there's... My biggest problem with Chelsea has been that there doesn't really seem to be a, a a plan for how they're going to play or how they're going to set up for sort of the remainder yeah. of the season. You've got, a, you've got a bunch of players who are talented in their own right, but um, it's very rem- reminiscent of Man United and their midfield. It's just a whole bunch of jigsaw, um, jigsaw pieces that don't fit together. Um, and yeah. poor Frank and Ole have both been put in a difficult situation where they've been told, make it work. Um, and I guess... Uh, Ole, uh, I think, in now in the fullness of time, has shown that he's actually doing a pretty good job at, at Manchester United, given the squad that he's got. Um, but I guess uh, Frank's really got to uh, got to pull something out of the bag here and try and find, figure out a way to to put all of these talented footballers together and and make a coherent system out of them. Um, if there's one thing I, I think about um, their squad at the moment, it's uh, maybe try Habits up top as a false nine because I, I think Drew's obviously not the the answer long term. And look, I'm not. I know some people are big Tammy fans. I'm not sure what George thinks about Tammy Abraham, but I, I don't think he's the the number one striker for for Chelsea moving forward. And he's not someone that I would have displaced um, uh, Werner. And it's not someone who I would think would hasn't shown that he can he can dovetail really well with habits either. So I think well, how can you try and get the best out of Werner and habits? Maybe play them together up front. I mean, look, Frank's gonna have to you know throw a few more things at the wall and, and hope that something sticks because I mean, from what I I've seen at least, like for me the the best option from the up top is is Giroud, is 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 Giroud, and it's it's odd that you know. I mean, it's always going to be difficult to bring in this many signings and, and sort of wait for them to, to gel. And I, I think Frank's problems are compounded by maybe not having the the clearest idea of the system that he wants to play, but also that some of these guys have just either been injured or bang out of form. Um, mm. Word at the moment doesn't look like... I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't understand where... You know, this guy was supposed to be the, the sharpshooter that loves goals, and you know, but it doesn't seem that way. He can't... He, yeah. he was very fortunate in that um, at Leipzig, he pretty much had the the team set up to to play to his strengths, and yeah. and I guess what we're seeing is that um, some players, if if you don't play to their strengths, they're going to struggle because um, it was used to a very specific way of of playing, and sort of people were moving to create space for him, and yeah. now that's just not really happening. So. Um, and it's the yeah. same with Habits as well. I think I, I don't think Habits and, and Mount can play together. I think they're too similar. So um, again, well, Mount, Mount has to be the, one of the Mount has to be one of the, the few shining lights for for Chelsea fans, obviously, because he's the guy. I mean, Academy product. They spent no money on him, but he's the guy that's coming up um, the goods at the moment. I know, obviously, he scored mm. the the winner, which was great. But he also had a, a great shot off the bar, I think, in the first half. Um, and he's like one of been one of the more consistent guys for them. Um, uh, I mean, as far as other sort of positives go, as, as you say, like it was a fairly average performance. Remember, this was against a that was against ten men for a large portion of the game, and a full yeah, team with, in, yeah. in 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 a, in a bit of form. But like you know, form's relative for for Fulham. They've been fairly poor otherwise, and they sort of had a made a good fist in the first half. The only other, I guess, positive for Chelsea, I think that's sort of approaching their best back four. The guys they yeah. played, maybe only apart from bringing in Reese James, I think, back into the lineup. But 
uh, Rudiger you, and um, and Silva is, should be their ideal centre back pairing. I interesting. Think. I mean, um, I didn't think Rudiger was particularly convincing. Um, I actually think I think Zuma is is a better fit for them. He, he seems to be better on the ball and a bit more assured, and and seems to have a better relationship with with Thiago Silva as well. But um, I mean, I wasn't watching this game with with Rudiger particularly in mind though, so and I'll, I'll take that point nonetheless. I'm I'm also thinking that like on on paper that should be the superior mm. pairing. Like I'm I'm a big Rudiger fan, but as is often the case with um with centre halves, like it's the the partnership is more than the sum of its parts. And if you can get the right balance, then you know he should be a world class Premier League um, centre half. But so, so for you, Azpilicueta and uh, and Rudiger, they start over Mount and Zuma. No, no, sorry, sorry. I bring James, James in, James in for Azpilicueta, and mm-hmm. then I would have Rudiger and uh, Silver in the middle, and obviously Chile okay. B. <laughs> yeah, well, that goes without saying, right? Do they do they have another left back? They still got um, who's the Italian Brazilian that plays at left back? Emerson. Oh, Emerson. Have, yeah, they, have they still got Marcos Alonso, or has he moved on? I think he's still there, isn't he? I think he's still. I think he's. I think that handsome man is is still floating around the club. <laughs> um, I did. Yeah. I did see that Chelsea did this this week. Finally, release um their like number one lone army captain. Uh, I think his name's Lucas Piazon. He's been there for like ten years. He's had like <laughs> fifty different loan spells, and he's finally been released to Ajax. <laughs> We we talked. I, I called um I called Ozil's uh, situation. I called it a golden golden cage. Okay. But I mean, I don't think it was probably even particularly golden for for this guy because I mean he'd been there for so long. He can't have been on amazing money. Maybe it was still better yeah. than than if he had have gone oh. elsewhere. But yeah, probably because he was playing anywhere else. But the great thing for him is I think he was been there for that long. He's still only like twenty six, but he's been there for like ten years and been on loan. <laughs> Do you, do you think because um, I did notice that um, they've been talking about Phil Jones and because he's been at um, Manchester United for ten years that he's eligible yeah. for a testimonial. Do you think this bloke should get a testimonial? Uh, a Absolutely. Testimony? Absolutely. They can, they can play fifteen minutes against all the teams that he's played on loan against. <laughs> uh, all right, mate. Um, there was one one other match. Um, uh, that was played last night. That was Leicester versus Southampton. Uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, Leicester are now up to second place. They they jumped above um, Liverpool with this result, um, the the 2-0 win against Southampton. Uh, goals from Madison and uh, Barnes as well Barnes. gave Leicester the win. Um, did you catch Madison's goal celebration? Uh, what, did he do? what did he do? I saw the goal. I don't remember the celebration. So um, there's been a bit. Oh, of a sorry, he did. He did. The, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. I, I did say it. Sorry, I remember. Shoot, now. He, yeah. So he shooed. He shooed uh, the other players away, and basically was like, "No, no, we're not meant to do this. We're not meant to be That's celebrating." It. it was. It was a bit of a throwback. Do you remember the first, first, uh, the first matches in the Bundesliga after after the restart, like back in yeah. April or whenever it was, and yeah, like everyone, like there was a goal scored, and everyone just kind of looked at each other and shrugged like, their shoulders and ran back to halfway. <laughs> Class German efficiency, but um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, that that was very funny. This this whole thing about players not celebrating is, is absolutely ridiculous. Like, like the stupidest things of, of, of I, I mean, said that they're, they're the most tested people in the country, and they've been running around sweating and tackling each other for the last two minutes. Like, 
I don't understand. But yeah, anyway. I, I totally agree. I, I mean, I appreciate the um, the thought behind it that, um, yeah, we want to be yeah. minimising people-to-people uh, -people contact. But, I mean, if they can't celebrate together, then they shouldn't be playing, right? Correct. But, yeah, and I know it's the visuals of, you know, people at home seeing, you know, can't hug, can't hug their friends and seeing footballers do it, uh, whatever. But still, that was that was a good celebration. Not, not Mikel mm. Antonio levels, but good celebration. <laughs> um, All right. Um, yeah. that, that pretty much wraps up the, the footballs that's already been played. Um, knowing that we've already or, uh, almost been speaking for 50 minutes, we'll, uh, we won't whip through all of the games that are still to come. I just counted them. There's 13 to come, I think. 12 or 13. No way. <laughs> <laughs> so, but there are two games that I do want to touch upon in a little bit more detail. Um, we'll do the, the the lesser of the two first, maybe, and that's Leicester versus Chelsea. Uh, it's obviously a big game uh, because obviously Chelsea are, are struggling at the moment, not just for for results but also for form too. Mm -hmm. um, meanwhile, Leicester are up to second, and uh, I I guess there's a pretty good chance. Uh, hang on, so uh, no, so they can they can drop down to. Um, to third if if Liverpool win uh, tonight against Manchester United. So um, even still, like third is very good uh, at this point in the season for, for Leicester. So um, yeah. they, they're um, putting in a really strong case, I think, to probably be favourites for, for this match against Chelsea, which I don't think anyone probably would have expected um, maybe even just as much as a month ago. Agree. Um, yeah, this is a, a match for you know, Chelsea, who, who although they've, just recorded a win and this game is on tuesday i believe is that right yeah i'm not sure but, anyway. but you know <laughs> i think it's i think that i think it's you know who've just recorded a win um uh, without playing well and without sort of showing any sort of improvement from their form in recent weeks like in fact it, like a, a win they were sort of lucky to get in a lot of ways um against a lesser team who were very commanding against a good saints team and um a lesser team that are playing well and, and you know in the, in the same way that we said not really sure how what the sort of plan is for Chelsea when, like when they when they attack with Leicester you've got a very clear idea of exactly what they're going to do and they sort of seem to have their their movements knelt down and they you know there's a clear idea for all the, all the players as to what they're supposed to be doing so uh it's it's two managers coming at, at this game from very very different positions What's your what's your prediction, mate? Who's going to win and why? Oh, I think I think it's a Leicester win. Um, again, just based, based purely on on the two games that we watched yesterday, and the way Leicester moved the ball around against again a good Southampton team. Um, and remember, Le Leicester did um, re really uh, pull City apart a, a, a few months ago. Like they've done it already against um, you know the the bigger clubs as well. That 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 result uh, where Leicester. Like really did destroy um, City and also the Aston Villa Liverpool game. They don't feel like this season. They feel like they're from like a weird dream where everyone was like, "Oh no, that's just a preseason friendly. That doesn't count." <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I know. It does, it does um, feel like I, I've got a strange like recollection of matches this year. I can't remember what was played when, or you know, mm -hmm. things that I feel like was like you know six months ago was actually only a, a month ago. But there's been so many games in the meantime. 
but yeah. And I, because they're constant as well. Like there's always matches midweek and stuff, which makes it really hard to distinguish rounds from, from the other. But um, Probably sometimes anyway. the first time I hear about a match is like listening to it on the pod and I'm like, how, <laughs> I, I, watch, I, I watch football everywhere. How did I not know that game was played? <laughs> it's, it's easy to miss the football. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's a nice to win to, uh, to sum up. Fair enough. And the final match that we're going to cover, um, even though there are another eleven that we could talk about, but I mean, uh, we'd be going, I think, for for two hours if we we were going to to talk about all of them. Which is um, the big one. This is first versus second, at, uh, or first versus third, but really it's first third. versus second. Um, Liverpool versus Manchester United. Um, Liverpool, I guess, have shown in patches that um, they're still a, a really strong side again this year. Uh, Manchester United have shown in, in patches within matches that um, they're a really strong side and, and could be could be contenders contenders for the title this year. Um, but w- what's your take, mate? Who who uh, who are you excited about and who do you think is going to take out this one? I'm excited for this one because I really have no idea how this could go on, on one hand it's i struggle to fathom like how this united team can compete with this liverpool side that's been so dominant and so consistent over the last couple of years obviously even if united get a win here and, and play well there is a massive asterisk on the win based on the team that liverpool have to put out because while again they haven't sort of played to their best and i don't think the front three have been you know as um as you know, deadly as they have been for the last couple of seasons. But noting the massive, noting all, noting all of the um, the absences that Liverpool have had to contend with at various points and for various reasons, whether it be injury or, or COVID throughout the season, and the fact that Liverpool are basically playing two of their midfielders in centre half, it looks like um, there's a massive asterisk on this if United wins. So it's it's kind of a free hit for them. Like I think United would be happy with a draw. Um, but at the same time, I just can't, like, I could very much see Liverpool going out and they've had more time to prepare. I just think they're a better side. I could see them coming out and blowing United away in the first 20 minutes and then... Well, it's interesting you say that in, in terms of, like, Liverpool from a from an attacking perspective because, I mean, um, like, the narrative at the moment is really that the Liverpool front three in particular are kind of struggling for goals. I mean, if you yeah. look at their form over the past month, um, they've only – they did manage um, – they've managed two occasions in the league in their past – hang on, sorry, two, three, four, five, six um, – yeah where they've managed to score more than one goal in a match. Um, that was obviously the 7-0 mauling of Palace um, and the 2-1 the victory over Spurs. So if you take out those two matches, they've had five matches where they've either been held scoreless or have only scored one goal. So um, they're... Um, it's a strange season, I guess, for Liverpool. Like, obviously, we mentioned just before they they scored um, they scored seven against um, Palace. They conceded seven in a game as well, and I guess the the polish has uh, come off a little bit. And you're not really sure whether or not they're going to score seven or if they're going to go three games without scoring either. So, yeah, uh, it's really it's just so hard to predict. And I guess um, I think it's not necessarily going to be whether or not. Um, Manchester United can uh, can keep Liverpool out, but um, it, or sorry about yeah, you know, it's not going to be about whether Manchester United can um, 
uh, can score, I think they will score. Um, it's yeah. it's whether or not Liverpool can can keep up with them. It might be a shootout from that perspective, and uh, Liverpool might uh, get get left behind, not because they're an inferior team, but just because maybe their front three just aren't firing. Well, the, the, I, I think you know part of the reason that they're having these issues up up top is obviously because of the absences at the back, and that obviously affects the way that they play. And you, know, yeah, you, take, you talked about that about Wolves, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in the same way that you take Fabinho, who's like, you know, probably the most effective uh, guy in the middle, and you've got to play him at centre half, and he's got another guy with him who's not even a natural centre half either, which means the midfield's reduced to one album, who I think is, you know, still class and, and has to play. And um, you know, I guess you have to play Ox, and um, it's like a couple player. of young players that have been. I think Curtis Jones has been playing as well, and yeah. I think he's a, he's a really good prospect. I don't know a lot of Liverpool fans are really excited about him, but he's still a very young, very inexperienced player, and I guess that that sort of shines through after a while, especially in comparison yeah. to who they've been playing for the last few years. And and I, and I would say also when you take out not just Van Dijk but even just a regular centre half, there's even more pressure on. Your um your fullbacks to you know to be organised and defend properly and Robertson's been fine but I don't think that's the best part of Trent's game despite like all the talent that he has um uh, I think he's strong when, the, when there's more defensive responsibility placed on him I think he's had a, a bit of trouble with that this this season and been caught out of position a few times but um on the other hand you know if you look at the, this United team I'm not convinced by them like I, I still yeah I mean. Eric Bayer's been great coming back in. Like him and Maguire seem like they could actually form a, a, a good partnership at the back. But uh, which is weird because I thought Bayer was finished there. I, I thought he yeah. might have even left this this window. But there he is. He's yeah. playing and um, he's keeping clean sheets. So and and weird. they look much better with him than than Lindelof next to um Maguire because that is a, just a shit show. But then you know I'm not <laughs> I'm still I'm not convinced by Luke Shaw at fullback uh, um, for United. Like I don't. I don't rate this this United team at all, really. Um, like but Alex Sellers can't really get a look in, though. I don't understand which, that. We, we can't. Oh, can't. Know, we, we, there's lots of things about this season that don't make any sense. Um, <laughs> but as, as you, you rightly point out, like they've been good in patches, in matches. They haven't seen Man United play 90 minutes. Two yeah. weeks ago, they played City in the Cup and looked like a second-rate team. And I thought, okay, that's what's going to happen when they play Liverpool. So Interesting. I'm... Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, obviously. So is that your tip then, Liverpool to to win? My tip is a is a two all draw. Ooh. A two all draw. I think Liverpool early, um, and then a Bruno Fernandez penalty in the 88th minute to oh. level it up. <laughs> Very precise. Um, Mate, what minute did you say? The 80th minute? Because I mean, 88th. 88th. I, I, <laughs> Because I feel like even even having the minute out, um, out there, that that's not that a ridiculous a shout to even throw out the minute. Because I think um, it's got all the hallmarks of that being what ends up happening. Oh, well, geez. If it if it does, you know you'll be hearing about it for a long time. <laughs> Mate, we can we can put it in um, if it's not too late for our updated. Um, Preseason bold predictions about uh, you. You can put that one in there for for Bruno Fernandez to score an 88 minute penalty against Liverpool, and, and I'll put in there about uh, Big Sands West Brom never can uh, never scoring an outfield goal, an open play goal uh, for the remainder what's, of the season. What's 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 your pick for this one, Tommy? Do you? 
Um, do you see Man United going top? I, I don't think it matters if they do anyway. I, I still think they'll be real <laughs> in. But um, can you see them going top? This is it's uh, normally I get a really good sense of like who who I think is going to win, but I'm really struggling with this one because um, yeah, I, I just I really don't know which way to go. I mean, um, I guess my my head says my head says Liverpool because I think like there there's too much quality there and too much experience. Um, but you just you'd never know what Ole is going to do in a big match as well. Like they they've shown that in some big matches they can they can pull something out of the the bag and they this for this game they might be really pumped up and this might be like that that game against PSG where they just sort of pulled one out of the bag out of nowhere or um he's um always uh, had a couple of decent results against City in in Manchester derbies as well um in the league and so I, I don't know like I actually think Manchester United have got a damn good chance in this just because like sometimes in one-off games they can just pull a pull a performance out of their backsides, and I don't think they're going to be good for ninety minutes. I think they'll be yeah. good for like thirty minutes and score three goals, and but be trash for the preceding sixty minutes. So, um, I think this this game, I don't think it will be won or lost in the first half. I think the second half and that final twenty minutes, I think that's going to be where the the game is won and lost. Um, I'm sorry to. To give you a prediction, though, I think uh, Man United might win this one. I've, I've talked myself into it. Okay. Okay. 2-1, I'm saying. 2-1. <laughs> All right. Um, we'll, we'll wrap things up there, though. Um, that's it for, for Premier League. We've talked for over an hour, which it, it was never planned to be uh, this long. But, you know, I, I think in the end, I think I'm just going to end up uploading this as a standalone pod because um, it would definitely go for close to two hours if uh, if not. <laughs> But um, look, thanks, thanks for joining us, Andy. Always a pleasure, mate. And uh, thanks for joining us, listeners. Bye, bye. Bye.